The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 611 for February 25th, 2018. The FCC publishes its order ending net neutrality, new hardware and announcements from the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and if you're not on Android or iOS, you're just another. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news, the FCC preparing this week to publish its order abolishing Obama-era net neutrality rules in the Federal Register which it subsequently did on Thursday as the, quote, restoring Internet freedom, unquote, rules. Per the filing, the agency will repeal the Obama era net neutrality rules effective April 23rd. FCC Chairman Ajit Pai believes the open market rather than actual rules will prevent telecommunications companies from acting in bad faith. Pai is doing away with the bright line rules that prevent throttling and paid prioritization and suggests that as long as companies are transparent about their policies, all will be good. Further, the FCC believes the FTC should take on a greater role in protecting consumers. The FTC, however, is a reactionary body, of course, only taking steps after grievances have occurred. The move is seen as a victory for telecommunications companies such as Verizon and AT&T. And April 23rd may mark the official end of the net neutrality rules, but the FCC's order is the target of much litigation. Attorneys general from 21 states plan to sue the FCC in a bid to overturn this reversal, and governors of Montana, New Jersey, and New York have all introduced their own rules that compel telecommunications firms to abide by at least some elements to treat web traffic equally. 50 senators have also agreed to introduce legislation that would keep net neutrality rules in place, as well as give control over the matter to Congress. Many consumer groups have also vowed to fight the new rules. Lots going on with this one. Obviously, we've got two months here before the uh, these rules will go into effect, or as in the old Obama-era rules will go out of effect, and uh, we'll be watching this one very closely, as you can expect to see these litigation pieces ramping up very soon. Next up, a record 99.9% of smartphones sold worldwide last year either ran Android or iOS, this according to data from Gartner. Android remains the most widely adopted uh, operating system out there, uh, having a margin over iOS of roughly 86% to 14% in market share. Android and iOS have been the leading mobile operating systems for many years now, but the duopoly it was uh, dormant over the la- or dominant that is over the last year, as Gartner said, it didn't even break out BlackBerry and Windows Phone individually anymore. Together, those platforms accounted for less than 0.1% of the market share in 2017. Just over 1.5 billion smartphones were sold worldwide uh, last year, meaning that Android and or excuse me, BlackBerry OS and Windows Mobile handsets uh, and any other platform for that matter made up only 1.5 million handsets of that 1.5 billion. BlackBerry recently announcing that it will continue support for its BlackBerry 10 operating system for two more years, but encourages customers to upgrade to its Android-based smartphones manufactured by TCL. BlackBerry World and other legacy services will shut down by the end of 2019. Similarly, Microsoft in October announced that it will continue to support Windows 10 Mobile with security updates and bug fixes, but will no longer develop new features or release any new Windows phones. Yeah, it's really amazing how much the other competitors have just been squashed by iOS and Android. There's just there, there's just no competition. It, they're just gone. And, and, and considering how big BlackBerry really was um, you know, 10 years ago, it's really amazing to see that just complete zero now. 
Everything else is just an other. And in fact, this is very similar to what you see today with the Windows and Mac, uh, you know, versions of operating systems on desktops. Uh, it's not quite this high, uh, I think, for, for the Apple side where uh, they're probably around 10% maybe of operating system installations out there. Um, but I would imagine it's a very similar, you know, 99.5 plus percent of operating systems installed on desktops are uh, Windows or Mac. And uh, so similarly, it's happening too on the uh, mobile side, which again, very uh, interesting when you think about just, you know, a short 10 years ago where it was, you know, a third or a quarter uh, of the operating systems running, you know, four really basic operating systems. And now we're just down to those two. Right, because we used to have, uh, you know, the, 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 the Palm OS was a real common one because I had a Centro, you know, you had, uh, um, you've got the BlackBerry at the time, you know, Android was just, just new, you know, iOS was just new. We had uh, the Nokia OS running, the Symbians, we had, uh, oh, the, what and other Windows ones? Mobile. Was the, yeah, Windows Mobile, that was a very common one. Uh, and these are just for smartphones. But of course, most people at the time didn't have smartphones, so they just had whatever, you know, OS was just built into the phone that didn't really do anything. It was just, you know, the, the actual hardware, uh, you know, the circuitry that was running on it. That wasn't an upgradable OS at all. So the, I guess it was five, maybe even six, depending on how you count the operating systems. But uh, nonetheless, we uh, have moved on to just two, which kind of, you know, in many cases for, um, you know, uh, technology, that's what you see is you see this consolidation onto two, uh, you know, one kind of primary and then the other secondary, but still has enough market share to be relevant type of system. So 99.9% uh, .9 of all smartphones uh, being sold now, uh, Android or iOS. Next, Qualcomm Tuesday increasing its offer to acquire NXP semiconductors, $127.50 per share. That's about $44 billion. The new offer reflects the increased value of each company, both have which grown since the deal originated. Qualcomm first proposed to acquire NXP in October of 2016. NXP is a co-inventor and key patent holder of the NFC technology. Qualcomm already integrates NXP Secure Element technology into its Snapdragon chips. NXP is the fifth largest semiconductor maker, excluding memory chips, and also the leader in chips for automo automotive networks, IoT, and most other types of wireless radios. Qualcomm believes the new offer will find support within the ranks of NXP's shareholders. On the flip side, Broadcom revising its offer to acquire Qualcomm downward by $3 a share after Qualcomm's increased NXP bid. Broadcom said Qualcomm's board acted against the best interest of stockholders by unilaterally transferring excessive value to NXP's activist stockholders. Broadcom would have preferred to see Qualcomm act together in, with Broadcom to broker a deal for NXP while still allowing Broadcom to move forward with its own offer to buy Qualcomm. Qualcomm wasn't impressed by the revised offer, saying Broadcom's reduced proposal uh, has made an inadequate offer even worse despite uh, the clear increase in value in Qualcomm's to Qualcomm's stockholders by providing certainty around the NXP acquisition. Broadcom has refused to continue uh, and, and continues to refuse to engage with Qualcomm on price. Broadcom says that it's still committed to buying Qualcomm, uh, but they feel Broadcom's current proposal doesn't properly value Qualcomm. Switching to chipsets, Qualcomm has said it has expanded its long-standing agreement with Samsung to use the company's foundries to manufacture Snapdragon 5G mobile chipsets. Samsung's new 7-nanometer low-power plus 
extreme ultraviolet lithography techniques produce significantly smaller chips that give phone makers more space in their designs. The 7LPP process also provides significant improvements to battery life. Compared to Samsung's older 10 nanometer FinFET process, the 7LPP EUV process boosts chip efficiency by 40% with a 10% increase in performance or a 35% drop in power consumption. Neither company provided a timeline for expected manufacturing of the chips, nor did they suggest when such chips might reach phones or other mobile devices. In other news from Qualcomm, the chipmaker introducing two improvements to audio technology that should improve the wireless music listening experience. First, broadcast audio will let people stream Bluetooth to more devices. The one-to-many streaming technology is proprietary to the Snapdragon 845 mobile platform, but allows one Bluetooth source to stream audio to numerous handsets or speakers with near-perfect synchronization. This allows one device to push music via Bluetooth to multiple speakers, headphones, or other devices, and Qualcomm claims that broadcast audio delivers simpler pairing, connecting, and managing of devices, support for dozens of devices in range, and automatic retransmission and packet loss concealment for dropout-free listening. Also, Qualcomm's true wireless stereo technology is meant to for truly wireless products such as earbuds. The technology broadcasts Bluetooth content to each bud interdependently to eliminate the need for any wires. The true wireless stereo also gives people the option to switch the roles of the earbuds between primary and secondary to balance power consumption for improved playback time. Qualcomm's true wireless stereo tech is meant to be used with the recently announced QCC 5100 series Bluetooth SOCs and will help reduce power needs for voice calls by streaming audio by 65%. Broadcast audio and true wireless stereo are already available to developers and device makers. I've always wondered why Bluetooth does not have a you know one-to-many broadcast protocol. It, it's it's always baffled me because yeah, having a you know a, a numerous Bluetooth speakers around your home would make a lot of sense, and it would be very easy to make that work. You know, if you can just play an audio source right from your phone, play it to many speakers, uh, it'd be great and handy. You know, uh, Apple AirPlay is kind of the same restriction too. It's usually just one-to-one uh, kind of connection. Of course, AirPlay Two is supposed to bring you to multiple connections, but this should have happened years ago. Yeah, indeed. And it's something that I really love about the Sonos system that uh, we've got multiple speakers, they're synchronized as they play, um, and it just works out quite well. And I think the the idea of a synchronized Bluetooth system is really going to open up some possibilities for people who have uh, you know systems in their homes or want to try a wireless type of system and do things a little bit differently. The, the limitation with Bluetooth uh, at this point really is one of distance. And uh, if you're synchronizing music throughout a house, You've got to make sure that you've got um, a device that is, I'll just say, centrally located in order to make that happen. Um, but with the newer uh, versions of Bluetooth, range is getting a little bit better. Um, you know, you've got higher throughputs that are available with the new technologies, and, and generally it's going to start to work a little bit better. Um, but having a Wi-Fi-based system still seems to be the most robust and, and, and most safe way to get a, uh, you know, a, a jitter-free or an error-free stream of music uh, going over a wireless system. But uh, either way, some nice stuff uh, seeing uh, these upgrades here to the latest uh, Bluetooth Uh, with this uh, broadcast audio. Qualcomm Thursday uh, saying that they will be announcing the WCN3998, which is a pre-standard 802.11ax Wi-Fi radio for smartphones, tablets, and notebooks. Qualcomm says the WCN3998 is faster, more power efficient, and more secure than previous designs. To start, the spec allows for more throughput for each user thanks to an 8x8 MU-MIMO, even in congested access points, ensuring the end user will see an increase in speeds by a factor of 2, 
Uh, further, the WCN 3998 puts strict power management algorithms to work in order to reduce power consumption by up to 67%. The Wi-Fi radio is among the first to adopt uh, WPA3 encryption from the Wi-Fi Alliance, providing greater degrees of security for home, public, and enterprise networks, and even protecting those who fail to pick strong passwords. Finally, uh, the 3998 adopts Bluetooth 5.1 with extended data rates and low energy modes. Uh, this makes for a more robust wireless audio connection and battery life improvements. Uh, those are uh, up to 75%. Qualcomm saying it supports pre-draft access points and expects to reach the market later this year or early next year. The Wi-Fi radio will find its way into flagship smartphones by the end of 2018. So right now, the 802.11ax, which will be the successor to AC uh, wireless networks, is still in its you know draft uh, uh, draft form. Uh, if you remember, we had... Uh, you know, wireless N in draft form on devices for, it must have been five years before it was actually a finalized uh, spec uh, for wireless N networks. But uh, AC is, you know, feels like that's barely just been implemented in a lot of uh, devices, but now we're already on to AX again. But the the real push for this is the WPA3 encryption because, uh, as you know, the WPA2 has been kind of compromised. Uh, it has been kind of fixed, but it's still uh, now an aging uh, encryption standard. So there's you know, a lot of worry that that will be, you know, fully hacked here at some point in the future. But of course, the real needs are all these wireless devices that are on networks. We need a, now we need a better specification, just like our our cellular networks keep improving their uh, technology that is running on to uh, optimize the spectrum that they're on. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, you know, it, it's interesting how quickly this has changed here with this uh, standard. And you mentioned AC. Uh, you know, AC feels like, you know, if you're buying an access point, obviously you're you're probably buying one that's got AC built in if you're, at least you're spending um, a little bit of money on one. Um, but perhaps you've only done so within the last year or two. And for most people, they're not buying new access points for their homes every year. Um, meanwhile, I've bought three AC access points over the past two years to provide a robust network within um, you know, my home, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be running out to buy an AX standard. Cause again, you've got a limited number of devices that are going to support it and it's going to be, you know, to start, it'll be dongles and, and, uh, other devices that you will connect to, uh, current, you know, to hardware. And then that will make the connection, but don't expect to see this, you know, anytime over the next, you know, couple of months or anything like that in, in two devices here, but it'll come uh, fairly quickly. Right. And, and, you know, I, I doubt it'll be in the next version of the iPhone. It may not even be in the next two versions of the iPhone. It probably will be, you know, in an Android device or two, maybe next year. But it's always the chicken and the egg. You don't want to spend money on, you know, one of these $300, $400 routers here to get this standard that no device even supports yet. Yeah, it's not doesn't make any sense yet. But It'll come, and now we know what it's going to look like, and uh, to see the uh, some of the benefits of it is will you know kind of help to make this a, a transition feel like one that's worthwhile, uh, at least a good value proposition. Intel this week announcing its efforts in the 5G space, including a timeline for bringing new Intel-powered 5G devices to market. The company says it's been deploying 5G technology for some time now, including virtualized network functionality and software-defined networks. It's relying on the 3GPP 5G NR spec and is working with vendors and partners to create an ecosystem of products to support 5G as it rolls out. One of the primary pieces of the 5G puzzle is Intel's recently announced Xenon D2100 system on a chip processor. It can handle intensive computing and networking loads demanded by 5G at the network edge. 
Further, Intel has partnered with China's Unigroup Spreadtrum, which will pair the Spreadtrum processor with its own XMM8000 5G modem. They expect to see phones packing the combined Spreadtrum Intel SoC during the first half of 2019. PCs embedded with 5G are on the horizon, too. PC makers Dell, HP, Lenovo, and Microsoft all plan to enable their mobile computers with support for 5G connections with the Intel XMM8060 modem. They expect to bring these concepts to market during the second half of 2019. This cannot, of course, come soon enough. We talk about this regularly, the benefits of having an always-on, always-connected computer, whether that's something as simple as a phone, something more complex as a tablet, and kind of the uh, the ultimate here, which would be a full computer that's synchronized and always connected. Joey, I was uh, texting you yesterday about my, uh, you know, my troubles as I uh, regularly uh, at home, especially don't use a computer and uh, turned it on after being gone for a week uh, because I had about 20, 25 minutes to get some work done. And uh, in that 20, 20 minutes, it was actually 30 minutes of time. Uh, I turned on the computer. It uh, synchronized all of my iMessages. It updated my Dropbox. It updated my OneDrive. It updated my Evernote. It downloaded my email to Outlook. It then downloaded some updates for applications, and then it had a system update that required me to do a restart, which ultimately took an additional 25 minutes for that to install. So in the process of 30 minutes where I was trying to get some work done because I hadn't had my computer on in a week, I got literally zero done because I had uh, had to do all these updates. And this is the one major benefit of an always-on but in a sleep mode type of mobile device is that you're not really thinking about doing these updates. They're just constantly coming into the device. Right. And that's why it's nice with iOS. You can now schedule the updates in the middle of the night. They're now smaller updates where, you know, they can be down to 30 megabytes uh, versus the old days where you had to connect it to iTunes to do any sort of system update on your iPhone. Um, with uh, with computers, though, Mickey, I turn off check for updates automatically on every single program. I don't have it on the OS. I don't have it on Evernote. I don't have it on Dropbox. Of course, Dropbox is different because that's actually synchronizing files. But that's not so bad because that kind of happens uh, in the background. It doesn't take your system down uh, because of the disruption that it does cause. So uh, I highly recommend then you have to remember to do it every uh, so often, but then check for updates and install them. Well, and this wasn't even this wasn't even me necessarily trying to do anything other than just um, it. There was a you know a notification that's saying that there was an update, and of course I went to it, and then it was like you know the the rabbit hole of well I got to do this, and then oh now there's a system update. Oh I suppose I should do that. So it was it was mostly self inflicted. It's not like I couldn't do stuff on the computer, but in order to feel like everything was you know you know up to date, I had to roll through all of that, and I got nothing done as a result. Right. And that's why I turn off all those notifications and only check manually because those notifications get in the way of what you're doing. Because usually you have to whip open your computer to do something quick and then there's all these things and then you forget what you were even going to do with your computer by the time you get to to what you actually wanted to do. So that's why I recommend turning all that stuff off. And certainly there are ways to get around this. I mean, there are things like PowerNap and, uh, you know, Windows is um, you know, can sometimes do kind of similar type of functionality, but um, it, it's not nearly as good. And especially if you're um, someone who doesn't use the device on a regular basis. And I have also noticed that uh, if I leave the computer uh, and go to sleep with it, if I've not done a sequence properly, i.e. if I have uh, turned on the computer while it's connected to a, um, to a power source uh, and then uh, unplug it, but 
don't reboot it, then it the battery. It's it's weird. The the new High Sierra is just not as uh, robust as uh, I or not as good with power uh, efficiency as it was uh, on the Sierra, Sierra version. But either way, um, yes, I would love to see when we get ourselves uh, always on, always connected computers, and uh, we'll be waiting to buy a new computer. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have my next one in there, and it would be nice to have five G in there as well. AT&T's prepaid customers are being given access to the company's sponsored data program. This means companies to sponsor the data usage for specific content on behalf of eligible AT&T wireless customers or customers can then select to consume content and not be charged for it. The program has been made available to AT&T's postpaid customers for a while. Prepaid customers can now, for example, make use of the DirecTV Now streaming video service without impacting their monthly data allotment. The sponsored data program also applies to AT&T-owned services such as Uverse. Customers who subscribe to AT&T's $35 or $45 prepaid plans are automatically opted in for the sponsored data program. AT&T gives customers the ability to opt out if they wish to do so. AT&T has been notifying customers of the change via text message. AT&T Wednesday said Atlanta, Georgia, along with Dallas and Waco, Texas, will be the first three mobile 5G markets to launch before the end of the year. With half a dozen more to be named later, AT&T said it will also offer 5G-based its 5G-based service. Currently, the 3GPP 5G NR spec um, and the company will use millimeter wave spectrum, though it didn't specify which bands. AT&T expects to offer a puck-style mobile hotspot for its first 5G device and will bring 5G-capable phones and tablets to the market in early 2019. As part of the 5G rollout, AT&T is relying on software-defined networks, or SDN technology, which it says will be as much as 75% of its network by 2020. AT&T says its mobile 5G service will eventually deliver multi-gigabit per second speeds with incredibly low latency. They've expanded the reach of their L. LTE-LAA technology in a few additional markets now available in Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Chicago, and San Francisco. T-Mobile has begun rolling out a new promotion targeting Apple products. They're offering a $200 rebate for those who purchase an iPhone 10, 8, 8 Plus, 7, or 7 Plus. It's being offered in addition to the value of a trade-in of a device. People who trade in a device in a T-Mobile store will be given an instant credit for the trade, and T-Mobile will accept trades also sent in via mail. Further, T-Mobile is offering a buy one, get one deal on iPhones, so customers who buy two iPhones and port in or activate a new line of service on at least one device can receive a second device for free via monthly bill credits. Customers who uh, will, however, have to pay tax on purchases at the point of sale. People who cancel service will be responsible for paying the balance of the devices. And finally, T-Mobile is offering a deal on the Apple Watch 3. Those who buy one Apple Watch 3 can get a second for half price or only $215. The promotions uh, will be available for a limited time. T-Mobile saying it has attained download speeds of 1.3 gigabits per second using LTE LAA technology from Nokia. The result has reached was reached in a lab using Nokia's commercial Nokia Airscale Micro RRH platform. The company's paired licensed and unlicensed bands using five-channel carrier aggregation, 256 QAM, 4x4 MIMO, and LAA on 14 antenna layers. LTE LAA is a stop between, of course, 4G and 5G networks, and T-Mobile says they'll be deploying it in small cell configurations and high-traffic urban locations to, to densify its network, as well as boosting speeds and improving capacity. They didn't say which markets would gain access to the technology nor what devices would ultimately support it all right in device news we've got a lot of it today first up blue products this week announcing the vivo x this is a flagship handset costing less than 200 dollars 
The phone is one of the first from Blue to jump to the 18 by 9 aspect ratio for its 6-inch 1440x720p display. The screen is protected by Gorilla Glass 3. A MediaTek Helio P25 processor runs on 4 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of internal storage. The Vivo X features two sets of dual cameras, the 13-megapixel main camera on the rear end of the phone with an LED flash, f2.0 aperture, PDAF, and full HD video capture. The second camera has a 5-megapixel sensor, Together, they produce uh, Booka-style images, and on the front, the Vivo X features a 20-megapixel standard-angle camera with user-facing LED flash, f2.0 aperture, 8-megapixel wide-angle camera there as well. Other features include a 4,010 milliamp-hour battery, fingerprint reader, max audio speakers, dual SIM card support, Bluetooth 4.1, Wi-Fi, GPS, and support for GSM networks in the U.S., Running Android 7 Nougat, it's being sold uh, on Amazon as well as on Blue's website for $199. LG Thursday revealing two new handsets, 2018 updates for its K8 and K10 mid-range series devices. Both bring over previous generations pebble-shaped contours and a 2.5D arc glass, but make advancements in the materials. The K10 has a U-shaped metal frame, while the K8 is polycarbonate. Shared features between the new devices include low-light photography thanks to low-light noise reduction that's combined with HDR to eliminate grain and provide more luminosity and contrast. The cameras also gain a a new timer helper feature that uses the flash as a visual guide during timer countdowns. The flash jump shot feature takes one photo every three seconds and pastes them together in a shareable GIF. Shared specs include LTE, GPS, Bluetooth 4.2, Wi-Fi, FM radio, micro USB, and Android 7 Nougat. On the K10, it's the larger of the two, 5.3-inch 720p display with a 1.5 gigahertz octa-core processor, th- uh, 2 or 3 gigs of RAM, 16 or 32 gigs of storage. It features a 13-megapixel main camera and either a 5 or 8-megapixel wide-angle front camera, uh, 3,000 milliamp-hour battery, and fingerprint reader. The K8 has a 5-inch 720p display with a 1.3 gigahertz quad-core processor, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage. The rear camera has an 8-megapixel sensor and the front camera 5-megapixel sensor and a 2,500 milliamp-hour battery. LG says both phones will be sold globally, though it didn't say if uh, the K8 and K10 will reach North America. They come in blue, black, and gold, and they did not say when they would be available. Alcatel announcing a number of devices, including two new mobile hotspots, the Link Zone Cat 12 and the Link Zone Cat 7. The Cat 12 hotspot has a 4,300 milliamp hour battery for 15 hours of connected surfing on up to 32 devices. The Cat 12 LTE radio delivers download speeds up to 600 megabits per second thanks to three-channel carrier aggregation. The Cat 7 hotspot is a smaller device, a 2150 milliamp hour battery with eight hours of surfing time. Cat 7's LTE is a download speeds of 300 megabits per second with the two-channel carrier aggregation. Both devices support micro SD memory cards up to 256 gigabytes for connected storage. TCL says the Alcatel Link Zone Cat 12 and Cat 7 will go on sale in select markets later this year, pricing about $200 for the Cat 12 and $125 for the Cat 7. TCL's Alcatel brand also announcing a slew of new handsets, starting with the One X, an entry-level Android device running Android 8.1 Oreo Go Edition. 
The phone is the first of the new lineup featuring an 18 by 9 display aspect ratio. The One X has a 5.3 inch screen, 960 by 480 resolution with a quad-core MediaTek processor at 1.28 gigahertz. The phone ships with either 1 or 2 gigs of RAM and 16 gigs of storage, 13 megapixel sensor, and a user-facing camera with an 8 megapixel sensor. sensor. Hardware features Cat4 LTE, Bluetooth, GPS, and Wi-Fi with microSD for charging and a memory card slot and a 2420 milliamp hour battery. Variants of the device will go on sale, some including a fingerprint reader. A new wave of uh, Android Go-based handsets is on the way, and this includes the Go-optimized versions of core apps, including Google Assistant Go, Google Go, Files Go, Google Maps Go, YouTube Go, and Gmail Go, as well as performance optimizations for Chrome, Google Play, and Gboard. The Android Go platform is designed to run on low-spec hardware with phones at 1 gig of RAM or less, and the Alcatel One X will go on sale in select markets in April, though it didn't say if or when it might reach the U.S. Next up, the three series of smartphones from Alcatel, three different phones that will offer screens measuring 5.5, 5.7, and 6 inches. Like the One X, all three adopt the 18 by 9 aspect ratio, while the 3 and 3X use HD Plus at 1440 by 720 resolution. The 3V increases to full HD Plus, which is 2160 by 1080 resolution. All three phones share a number of features such as a 2.5D curved glass on the front, curved rear panel, dual cameras and fingerprint sensors, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, GPS, micro USB, memory card support, and LTE. The three series phones share the same 5 megapixel selfie camera with LED flash and a 3000 milliamp hour battery. On the high end, the 3V includes a quad-core MediaTek processor at 1.45 gigahertz, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 or 32 gigs of storage. The rear camera is 12 megapixels and there's also a 2 megapixel secondary sensor for those book of style photos. It also includes HDR, panorama, EIS, filters, and video stabilization. It will be sold in black, gold, and blue and running Android 8 Oreo. The mid-sized member of the lineup, the 3X, has got a quad-core MediaTek processor at 1.28 gigahertz, 2 or 3 gigs of RAM, 16 or 32 gigs of storage. The camera is a dual setup as well, 13 megapixel main sensor, uh, two-tone LED flash, EIS, 5 megapixel secondary sensor in blue, black, and gold, running Android 7 Nougat. And on the entry-level side, the smallest of them, the 3 MediaTek processor, the same 1.28 gigahertz uh, processor as the 3X, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage, 13 megapixel sensor with EIS and HDR for the rear camera, runs Android 8 Oreo, coming in black, blue, or gold. The 3 Series handsets will go on sale uh, in select markets starting in April. Pricing ranges from $150 to $225, depending on the configuration. The company didn't specify if or when these phones would be sold in the U.S., Finally, from TCL, uh, Alcatel's 5 Series, uh, what uh, they're describing as the affordable flagship. It's a brushed metallic unibody design with a rear-mounted fingerprint reader, face ID technology for rapid unlocking. Features a 5.7-inch display with HD Plus at 1440 by 720 resolution and an 18 by 9 aspect ratio. Uh, TCL opted for an Octacore MediaTek processor at 1.5 gigahertz for high-power tasks and four clocked uh, processors clocked at 1.0 gigahertz for low-power tasks. The phone comes with either two or six 2 gigs of RAM and 16 gigs of storage, or 3 gigs of RAM and 32 gigs of storage. Both support microSD cards up to 32 gigs, a single 12 megapixel camera on the rear, an f2.2 aperture, EIS HDR panorama. It's got a unique two front-facing camera system, one at 13 megapixels, one at 5. The secondary lens offers wide-angle selfies. The other selfie tools include face beautification, face recognition, and video stories. TCL says the face key identify tool takes less than a half a second to recognize the owner's face. 
Further, the fingerprint reader can be customized to take actions depending on which finger unlocks the phone, such as the camera with an index finger or Facebook with the middle finger. Rounding out the specs, the Alcatel 5 series has a 3000 milliamp hour battery, Bluetooth 4.2, Wi-Fi GPS, Cat 4 LTE, USB-C, and an FM radio. The phone runs Android 7 Nougat and comes in black or gold. It is immediately available in select markets for $250. Cat Phones this week unveiled the S61. Uh, This is an update to the S60, a fully ruggedized Android smartphone, waterproof, dirt-proof, and able to handle temperature extremes, as well as drops, vibration, and even salt water. It provides a major upgrade in the FLIR Leptin thermal imaging camera, offering new high-resolution imagery up to full HD and a wider range of readable temperatures down to 20 uh, degrees below Celsius and up to 400 degrees Celsius. Owners can even live stream thermal video to Facebook if they wish. The new indoor air quality sensor alerts people of high levels of indoor air pollutants such as paints or solvents and an alarm will sound if levels become dangerous. The S61 packs a laser-assisted distance area measuring tool that has a range of 32 feet. The S61 includes 5.2-inch full HD display with Gorilla Glass 5, glove sensitivity, and wet finger tracking. The phone is powered by a Snapdragon 630 processor with 4 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage. Standard 16 megapixel cameras on the back and 8 megapixel on the front. Other specs include USB-C, 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, FM radio, Bluetooth 5, 4,500 milliamp hour battery with quick charge 4. It's uh, six, or The S61 will be on sale in the second quarter, pricing expected to be in excess of $1,000. So think about that for just a minute. You're going to be running uh, a device that is uh, obviously very powerful, depending on what it is that you need to use it for, but very specific to a certain industry or industries. Absolutely. I mean, because uh, uh, thermal cameras are exceptionally handy for diagnosing all kinds of issues, even from electricians to looking at uh, uh, you know, uh, circuit breaker boxes, because if there's too much load on a circuit, you can actually visually see it with the thermal camera. Uh, of course, uh, home inspectors, uh, home leaks, insulation, uh, uh, even HVAC technicians can use it to find, you know, leaks and ducting. You can use them for a million different things and they're super duper handy. And, and then if you had some uh, other safety sensors built in, you can quickly justify that price indeed and if it's uh taking a number of devices out of your tool bag and you just put in one in your pocket then certainly makes sense and that thousand dollars doesn't seem like all that much uh there there you have it uh lg sunday updating its v30 smartphone with new features and is now calling it the V30S Thin Q, making it just some subtle spec changes uh, to the processor. The V30S Thin Q includes 6 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, while the V30S Plus Thin Q includes 6 gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of storage. The new handset ship with Android 8 Oreo, now available in new Moroccan blue and platinum gray colors. Along with Oreo, LG has updated the software to include a handful of new tools under the auspices of its ThinQ artificial intelligence platform. Voice AI, which LG says is a, uh, are for custom commands for Google Assistant, made available only to the V30S ThinQ. Uh, these allow users to run apps and change settings through voice commands alone. The V30S ThinQ owners can tell their device to make take a panorama, time-lapse, or slow-motion photo, perform an image search, or scan a QR code, among other actions. These new commands join 23 existing commands already available on the original V30. Uh, next, the LG is taking aim at the camera with Vision AI and the ability to recognize objects and adjust shooting parameters just to capture better photos. Some of the initial scenes uh, the V30S ThinQ will be able to recognize include portraits, food, pets, landscapes, cityscapes, 
flowers, sunrises, and sunsets. The camera will automatically analyze the surrounding scene to adjust focus, white balance, and shutter speed based on what it sees. LG says it has scanned more than 100 million images to create a database of known objects to compare against. Finally, the V30S ThinQ gains a new low-light shooting mode called Bright Mode that should deliver far more accurate results when shooting in the dark. LG says Bright Mode relies on its AI-based algorithms to brighten images by a two-factor uh, for better-looking photos without noise. LG didn't say when the updated V30S and V30S Plus ThinQs would go on sale, nor which markets in which they would be sold. Google this week announcing the Android Enterprise Recommendation Program and an initial batch of handsets that meet the qualifications. Google says the Android Enterprise Recommendation Program establishes the best practices of common requirements for devices and, and services backed uh, by a thorough testing process conducted by Google. In order to qualify, devices need to have met a number of specs, including their hardware deployment, security updates, and user help programs. For example, devices must be approved to run at least Android 7 Nougat and receive security updates no later than 90 days from which they're released, they're released from Google. Further, device makers must commit to offering security patches and unlock devices for a minimum of three years. Some of the initial devices that meet the requirements naturally include the Google Pixel, Pixel XL, Pixel 2, and Pixel 2 XL, as well as the BlackBerry Key 1 in Motion, Huawei Mate 10 and Mate 10 Pro, LG V30 and G6, and Motorola X4 and Z2. The Nokia 8, Sony Xperia ZX uh, or XZ1, XZ Premium, XA2, and XA2 Ultra. Google says that it will update the requirements with each new Android platform release to raise the bar to ensure they're delivering the best experience for enterprise customers. And this is something that uh, Google's been fighting ever since the very beginning. It's, uh, you know, device manufacturers and carriers are both in the mix here in approving these updates. And it's really been, um, you know, bad news for for Google and Android users to get security updates and even feature updates, more importantly, uh, at least on the consumer side of things, as far as what they really want. Uh, of course, they really need is security updates, but... Uh, that is something that's just been a, a complete thorn in their side for many years, and they've uncoupled a lot of services from the actual uh, device software, but it's still just not enough to get that all the way through. That was one thing that Apple really insisted upon uh, with the iPhone is that they had complete control over the OS and when those updates could go out. And, of course, that has really worked well for Apple uh, over the years because they can get you know brand-new OSs in the hands of users on one day, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people in that one day. Yeah, and this is, you know, interesting when you look at how many devices they're mentioning here. Um, you know, it's, uh, I call it a dozen out of the hundreds that are available. Uh, and these are the ones that they are recommending. So it is, you know, obviously they are cutting out and, and selecting the cream of their crop here as far as what's available, including all of the devices that they manufacture. Um, but either way, it's a, it's nice to, uh, you know, to understand at least if you're looking to have a, a device for, uh, the enterprise that there are some recommendations that uh, Google will provide for you. And notably missing here, of course, all the Samsung devices. But um, either way, there's uh, you know there are definitely times and places for all of these these phones. In software news, Google this week releasing Google Pay, a revised payment application and service that replaces Android Pay. Google Pay encompasses most features of Google Wallet and Android Pay in a single app, allowing people to use their Google Pay to make payments online and via mobile devices. Google says Google Pay uh, became widely available online quickly as developers don't have to do much 
to alter their existing Google Wallet or Android Pay-backed services for full Google Pay integration. Google Pay for Android features information about nearby stores, recent purchases, and access to rewards. A new tab helps users collect and organize their loyalty and membership cards. Google Pay supports mass transit payments in Kiev, London, and Portland, with more cities coming soon. Google Wallet, The Google Wallet app is being rebranded to Google Pay Send, which will soon allow people in the U.S. and U.K. to send and receive money uh, to and from their peers. Google Pay is available from the Google Pay Store. Google says it's also announcing Android Messages, not announcing, but is saying Android Messages is gaining support from more phone makers and wireless operators thanks to the new RCS-based tools that they've incorporated. First, companies will have more power to interact with customers thanks to RCS business messaging. Google says brands can send more useful and interactive messages to their customers with photos, videos, and links for purchasing. A number of companies have been testing RCS business messaging via Google's Early Access program. Some include 1-800-CONTACTS, 1-800-FLOWERS.COM, Booking.COM, SnapTravel, and Subway. All on Sprint in the U.S., uh, Google is also saying more businesses will be deploying richer messaging via the Android Messages app over the coming months. Uh, it's gained a lot of traction with makers and carriers with more on the way, including uh, Alt, uh, Alcatel, BlackBerry, Blue, uh, Multilaser, Mobileware, uh, Essential will all preload Android Messages as the default SMS and messaging app. A number of phone makers already offering Android Messages include Huawei, LG, HMD Global, HTC, Kyocera, Motorola, Sony, and ZTE. The app is also growing with carriers, and they're saying that American Mobile, uh, AT&T in Mexico, uh, Freedom Mobile, uh, Telia Company, and Telefonica have joined George Telecom, Global Telecom, Orange, Rogers, Sprint, and Telenor in their commitment to launching RCS messaging. Uh, the Sprint, the lone U.S. carrier here to go all in with the RCS and Android messages. AT&T and Verizon each offer its own RCS-based messaging client for Android handsets. Google believing this new momentum for RCS and Android messages will eventually mean better messaging experiences between people, brands, and more. Samsung this week announcing the Samsung Max, a free app for Android devices providing new data conservation and security tools. It's a reborn version of the former Opera Max app, including data-saving modes to help people stretch their mobile data buckets a bit further each month. The app can monitor which apps are using data and alert users that apps which, which consume too much. It also helps by actively compressing images, videos, music files, web pages within apps, as well as the browser to keep the data consumption down. People can fine-tune how data-saving mode policies and other apps in advance of in the advanced security settings. Uh, on the security front, Samsung Max includes privacy protection mode, a VPN for securing phones on when on Wi-Fi, and encrypting Wi-Fi traffic with a single tap blocking track, trackers and cookies and includes a domain name system masking service to hide the user's location. Mask is now in the Google Play Store, and the company will pre-install it on some devices later this year. Microsoft says devices running Windows Phone 7.5 and 8.0 have reached end-of-life status and will no longer be supported. Beginning February 20th, Microsoft will turn off push notification services for Windows Phone 7.5 and 8, meaning devices running those platforms will no longer receive notifications, will not receive live tile updates, and will not be able to use the Find My Phone to locate their device. Uh, Microsoft says Windows Phone 8.1 and Windows 10 Mobile remain fully supported for the time being. Devices running Windows Phone 7.5 and Windows Phone 8 were originally sold between 2011 and 2012. Nuance says that its Swipe Plus Dragon application for Android and iOS has reached the end of its development. In a statement from XDA developers, Nuance said, We're sorry to leave the direct-to-consumer keyboard business, but this change is necessary to allow us to concentrate on developing our AI solutions for sale uh, directly to businesses. 
Swipe ha- was an early leader in the swiping keyboard space, and it started as an independent app quickly uh, acquired by Nuance. Google's Gboard application has gained quick adoption since it launched as uh, in many Android devices. Swipe plus Dragon is still available from the Play Store for the time being, but it will no longer be receiving updates. So this is one of the major first kind of like third-party keyboard that gained a lot of uh, visibility and traction. A lot of people really did like the swiping keyboard. I did try it once. It it wasn't for me, but uh, it was very, very popular. But now that, um, you know, Google and both iPhone both kind of have... Uh, improve their stock keyboards it just really isn't something people are looking for now i was with you i tried it at one point and said yeah i don't really see the benefit of this and i know there are some people who use uh swiping quite a bit and are very quick with it and i just was never one of those people but um you know you're always going to have a stock keyboard on your phone um which is one of the reasons why i've always decided to stick with using the stock keyboard and then go to something else but Either way, we will. Uh, uh, I'm sure we'll see other keyboards pop up and other p- keyboards go away. But yeah, this was one of the more popular ones that people were using. Yeah, and for me, I just do not trust the privacy aspect of the keyboard. I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't want them seeing everything I'm typing. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of with you with that. And it, when you talk about, you know, what those uh, applications could it be, you know, what the code could be in the backside and uh, what they could be capturing, it's just, yeah, it makes you a little bit uneasy and enough to not necessarily install one. Google on Friday made AR Core 1.0 available to developers and the public, bringing augmented reality to 100 million smartphones around the world. You've got handset compatibility with the Google Pixel, Pixel XL, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL, Samsung Galaxies, S8, S8 Plus, Note 8, S7, S7 Edge, LG's V30, V30 Plus, Asus Zenfone AR, and OnePlus's OnePlus 5. There's more devices from Samsung, Huawei, LG, Motorola, Asus, Xiaomi, HDM, Nokia, ZTE, Sony Mobile, and Vivo in the coming year. This 1.0 release gives developers an updated set of tools to create virtual content, providing an improved environmental understanding that lets people put virtual objects on surfaces like posters, furniture, toy boxes, books, cans, and more. Refreshed and Android Studio Beta supports AR Core in the emulator, so developers can work get to work right away. Some of the first brands to offer the AR Core include Porsche, FC Barcelona, and Sotheby's. Google says it's expanding its availability of the Google Lens preview, letting you take a picture and gather information about what's in the image. Google says Lens will hit all Google Photos English language users over the coming weeks. Google is going to add Google Lens to its Google Assistant on select Android flagship devices, letting people create contacts from business cards, recognize plants and animals, and add events to their calendar by taking photos. Google this week said the Google Assistant is uh, prepared to grow, adding new languages and the ability to understand multiple languages at the same time. Google says over the next few months, Assistant will speak Danish, Dutch, Hindi, Indonesian, Norwegian, Swedish, and Thai Thai, uh, with a total of up to 30 languages by the end of the year. Further, uh, Google Assistant will be able to understand multiple languages, meaning people can speak, as an example, English and German to their assistant at the same time without changing settings. This feature will be first available between French, English, German, and other languages will follow. Google also noted that it is working more directly with carriers and phone makers to improve Assistant. So LG, Sony, and Xiaomi are prepared to roll out device-specific commands with features based on Google Assistant, and carriers Sprint, Telius, and Vodafone are are working with them to develop integrations with the Assistant. Between the phone makers and carriers, Google expects Assistant to support individual device features, customer service queries, and more. Finally, Google Assistant is adding two new tools to help people manage their day. Routines lets people issue one command to set off a chain of action. So you could say, 
hey, Google, I'm home, and the assistant on Google Home on or phone can turn on the lights, share any home reminders, play your favorite music, and more. Location-based reminders have now expanded to Google Home speakers. People can tell assistant on their speakers to set reminders for each specific location, such as get milk when at the store, an alert will pop up when appropriate. Google expecting to bring even more features to assistant throughout the year. Apple Monday releasing iOS 11.2.6 to resolve several bugs. Primarily, the minor update resolves an issue where certain uh, characters could cause applications such as iMessage to and WhatsApp to crash. The update also patches the problem where some third-party apps could fail to connect to external accessories. The iOS 11.2.6 update is free to download over the air. Google on Thursday highlighting upcoming announcements, starting with a number of handset partners uh, bringing new Android Oreo Go devices to market soon. Oreo Go is that lightweight version of Android, and their new versions of Gmail, YouTube, Search, and other apps let people use these uh, services while on the go. Uh, Google's hardware partners have new Android One phones in the works as well. Uh, More announcements are expected here in the coming days. Questions and comments this week. We've just got one. It's a question coming from Patrick, and he says, Hello, TCPJ. Uh, hopefully you can shed some light into this. Uh, two questions. Number one, if I log into an application that allows logging in using your Facebook or Google credentials, is that safe? Does that app now have access to my Facebook information? And number two, when accessing my Gmail using third-party mail apps like Outlook, Spark, or Newton Mail, when I give them my Gmail credentials, do they get the password and can they access my mail? Worst case, if said app is hacked, is my mail compromised? Uh, as always, enjoy the show. Thanks, Patrick. So let's start with this first one here, which is uh, if you log into an app using these credentials, is it safe? The answer is uh, yeah, sort of. It, the When it, the service itself uses the authentication, it will tell you what it is that it's doing. So sometimes more information is given to that service. Sometimes there, there isn't hardly anything given. But when you say yes to that service, it'll pop and it'll say, Facebook or Google is going to request this type of information. It's usually like just your username to authenticate you. Sometimes it even does like location or preferences and stuff like that. So just take a look before you say yes. Yes, absolutely. So this whole, this, this authentication versus with these other services is called, uh, it's based on this uh, protocol called OAuth2. And this is a token based, uh, you know, security thing. And it is safe. Uh, it does, uh, it can, and sometimes these programs do ask for a lot of uh, uh, access into your account. In some cases, you can actually deny that access, either on the Google side or possibly the Facebook side. I don't know how Facebook works. Uh, on the Google side, it very clearly shows you, as you said, Mickey, what it's accessing. Um, uh, and of course, there are some things that you want to have access to your whole account. You know, there's like Evernote, for example, if you want to have it monitoring your email, you can have it have access to the full Gmail account, uh, things like that. So uh, that's part of it. Um, when So the other question here is if they get hacked, is your mail compromised? No, because it's actually uh, uh, token based on your device where you've done this actual connection uh, to it. So you don't really have to worry about uh, about that aspect of it. So that's um, uh, that's pretty handy. So also the other question is, do they get your password? No, they do not. It's only just a, an access token that's coming from uh, Google services, for example, uh, if you're giving your uh, mail access to uh, Outlook or Spark or Newton. Well, okay, so on the other side of this, I, I mean, I think he actually has a second separate type of question, which is to say, um, we are using, if you enter in, your Gmail credentials into Outlook on the Outlook app on your phone. Does then that service have your password and can they can they use it then further? 
no, they do not have your password. It is still just uh, still just token based, um, and, and that's why. So the other side of this is Patrick, if you're using two factor authentication with your email services, you've got even less to worry about. Is they will be able they will not be able to gain access to your account without using that two-factor authentication, which generally for Google is either via text message or opening up the Google app on your device to authenticate directly through there. Um, and when you do that, even if your password was available, you wouldn't be able to add your or do anything with your account, even logging in through a web-based service without that two-factor authentication saying you are who you are. So even if they did get your password, or, you know, somehow that that's that, that that is what happened. You can go into Gmail and, of course, deny access to these applications as well. If you, there there are sections, uh, Facebook has has it as well that there's a you know the applications that are connected to your account, and you can uh, log off those sessions, and you can also deny them and and restrict and revoke their permissions as well. So you always have that uh, ability to do as well. Yeah, there are there are a lot of different things from a security perspective these days that um, make it a lot safer to be using all these services. But at the same time, you know, just be smart about it. Don't be you know authenticating things to services that you don't know or don't trust. And uh, you know, be careful with what you're providing these this access to because obviously, uh, data is key with all of this. And most of these services would love to get more data from you about you, what you do, etc. So again, just be careful about that and and what you're authorizing. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call, 650-999-0524, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com. 